Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little odd. This is the of Oddcast, Movies, Music, and Gaming. And it's me, Sam. Hi. And with me is Dan. Hey, everyone. Me, Dreadful Dan G, bringing some dreadful analysis to you, the uh, listener. Oh, he's dreadful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Dan, uh, what are you, um, Movies, Music, Gaming, what are you watching, listening to, or playing currently, this week? Um, well, off the back of our King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard episode, um, I was feeling quite excited about the band. So I actually did a video uh, looking at their first five records because um, I had uh, those from 2018. They reissued them all. So gave all of them a spin mm-hmm. and been getting just like deeper into that, really. Yeah, put a video up on my YouTube channel and been um making a little playlist as well to share with any of our listeners that fancy some sort of just a, a top level bit of giz a little bit of giz in your in your mouth and your ears so and your eyes so on the um, episode <laughs> if you go back to last week's episode um in the description bit there'll be links there you can see the link to uh, dan's video there and also we'll put up the links for spotify playlist and i'm going to put I'm going to put a little bit of a playlist together as well and um, stick some bits on that so you can have a listen to both of our top Giz choices. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I imagine yours might be a bit rockier and mine's probably going to be a bit jazzier. 
Maybe. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Playlist off. It doesn't exist. I'm just making it up. Um, cool. Well, what have you been up to? I have. What have I been up to? So uh, gaming-wise, I've been playing Last of Us 2, um, which is, uh, I don't know if you know um, The Last of Us or if you know anything about it, to be honest. I do not. Well, it's a, uh, it was one of my favorite games of all time, I'd probably say, the first one. Um, and it's basically like a zombie apocalypse, but it's very stealth based. It's very narrative based, top notch graphics. And this is the, um, it came out like it was the final big release on the PS3. And this one is kind of one of the final big releases on PS4 because PS5 is coming out soon. Um, and it is like exhausting and dark, <laughs> really fucking good. And I'm really enjoying it a little bit too closer to the first game, I'd say, but, um, it's like really gritty and it is mentally tough to kind of play through because it's like bigger now and all this stuff. It's, um, it's, it's kind of feels like, you know, you're in a marathon kind of thing of this like constant stealth anxiety, like bloodlust killing, like just trying to survive. Um, and yeah, it kind of takes a bit of a toll on you as you're kind of playing through it, but it is, it's really good. It's a really good story as well. And yeah, the graphics are top notch as well. So yeah, I've been playing, been playing that. Um, Sounds we'll, grueling. I'd rather have a cup of tea in a bath. Yeah. Well, by the end of it, I imagine that's what I'm going to be. <laughs> gonna, I'm going to need. Um, yeah, it's worth, it's worth checking out. Uh, and yeah, if you're into gaming, you probably, you probably have heard about it. Um, what have I been watching? Like not, nothing much. I finished the third series of Dark. Um, and I'm always kind of banging on about Dark, the German Netflix show. Mm. Um, that was great. That was really, really good. Uh, but yeah, like movie-wise, I haven't really. I saw like The Old Guard on Netflix. That was, that was a bit dreadful. It wasn't completely dire, but it was not very good. Um, and yeah, finished RuPaul, All Stars. Love a bit of RuPaul. Oh my uh, God. I love it. Absolutely love it. Can't get enough of that. And I was watching this um, thing uh, on the Mafia on Netflix about the New York Mafia. And there's only like four episodes. I don't, I don't think I finished it. But um, uh, yeah, and how like the FBI tried to catch the Mafia and stuff. And it was it's all right. But there's an element where I'm just like, I feel like I've heard this like a million times before in some way or another. You know, it's like, uh, how, much, how many times can you hear about, was it John Gotti or whatever his name is? Mm. It's like, yeah, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, get it. Yeah, um, I've seen that before. Yeah, and that's it really. And music-wise, I haven't listened to... Oh, actually, I've been listening to something, which I'll come on to a bit later because it's relevant to what we're about to talk about. Okay. But, um, yeah, just I've just been kind of... Same as you, really. Like, since we spoke about King Gizzard last week, it's just kind of like on my... It's the... You know, it's on my current playing, so I'm just currently keep playing that, just still going with it. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing. So... Um, this week, I should say, uh, our, as people who listened to last week know, we went to our random um, generator, subject generator, and it came up with the 2009 film Dogtooth. So, so Dogtooth, why is it odd? What makes it acceptable for Oddcast? <laughs> um, well, uh, it's if you've seen it, you would know it's definitely very, very odd. It's kind of like a, a mixture of horror, drama, a bit of comedy, and a little bit of soft porn, I would say. <laughs> and some hard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Um, there's uh, a bit of blood, a bit of incest, and uh, all other kinds of weird stuff kind of thrown in for good measure. Um, I think it's definitely odd, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, Dan? <laughs> I think, yeah, it meets the criteria, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so th- the general general plot-wise of this, um, it's basically about a, a family, three kids, mum and dad, and the kids have basically never been outside of their home. Um, and they stay with their mother, uh, and the dad um, goes off to work and stuff, but he's trying his best to basically make sure they have zero contact with the outside world. And basically, um, it's about how uh, one someone he brings someone in from the outside world, which we'll kind of go into, who becomes a catalyst for like a change of um, events, let's say, and it all kind of kicks off a little bit. Um, but yeah, I saw this film when it came out and I really enjoyed it, but I have not seen it since. And bear in mind that was almost... Um, what, almost what, 11, 12 years ago or whatever, 2009, yeah. so yeah, 11 years ago. Um, Dan, what was, have you seen this film before? What What were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I saw it when it came out. And I think at the time I accepted all the kind of like uh, critical uh, support that it received. And because it was a bit dark and a bit weird, uh, I think I just sort of accepted that it was good. Um However, on reviewing it for this episode, um, you know, my attitude's changed to it. Uh, oh, really? I actually thought uh, it, it wasn't all that good. I didn't really enjoy it that much, to be honest. Um, I found it I found it quite boring. I found it somewhat derivative, um, which I know a lot of the reviews kind of said, oh, it's, it's so original, there's all this stuff going on, but and we'll get into that. But I thought it was derivative of a, a lot of other uh, kind of European art house films um around that time and in decades uh prior and i thought it definitely felt like the work of a a, a young writer and director but in its sort of like throwing so much stuff at the wall and just desperate to shock um so for all those reasons you know um and probably because i've been exposed to more literature and films like that with those kind of themes and imagery um, I was just a bit nonplussed by it all, really. It's, it's interesting, really, because for me, I thought it was, um, we'll get into it probably in a sec, but I can see where you're coming from. But I think just the, the kind of boldness of it and the fact that um, when I was watching it and I knew vaguely what was going to happen, obviously I haven't watched it before, I was still like, I was still shocked by like some of the stuff that happened in it that I just com- I'd completely forgot about. Um, I think for me as well, uh, as I'm watching it, I'm paying more attention to um, the kind of uh, more of the, like, the production behind it, if that makes sense. I'm kind of uh, probably more so appreciating it more so than I did first time around, um, such as like the framing and things like that. Um, like not afraid to cut off heads or shoot from behind someone or shoot from a weird angle and things like that kind of um, scratch that itch at the back of my head where it's like that's that's different and I like seeing different and I get a bit bored with like and I know there is an element as you were saying like where it is a bit like derivative and it's a bit like uh, just being art house for art house sake or whatever but um, I do think there's there feels like um, there's something behind like the choices that 
that are made there. And it does make it quite visually interesting for something that, yeah, is in essence, it should be really boring, but I don't think I was actually ever bored throughout. So I found it quite interesting, yeah, that you, you found it quite boring. I, th- I thought that was the best bit, actually. I've put a note here around some of those shots. Um, yeah, that kept it kind of visually interesting when, I mean, the, the sort of sets and setting aren't that uh, exciting, are they? But um, I specifically liked some of these shots that from a very low point of view, mm-hmm. where, like you said, people get up and suddenly their heads are gone. It feels almost like a kind of hidden camera. Um, yeah. So you get this sort of like, we're really in there seeing um, something we shouldn't be seeing in this household mm-hmm. of uh, terrible secrets. Yeah. And I also feel like it does it like you're, you're there, like you're physically there. It's very long takes. It's got a very kind of slow considered pace to it. And yeah, it's as if you're like sitting in a chair or something and you're, you're watching it. So yeah, if someone stands up out of view or someone does whatever, it's kind of fine. Um, uh, it's very, yeah, it's, it's really strange, but I think like, yeah, visually it definitely kept me quite hooked. Um, so I guess like before we've kind of gone a bit detailed on that, but for people that don't know, I thought just give a little bit of background on the, on the actual film. Um, so it, it's a Greek film. It was released in 2009, as we said, um, and it's by director Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he went on to do The Lobster, which did really well with Colin Farrell, um, and Killing of a Sacred Deer, again with Colin Farrell, did really well, and uh, The Favourite, which got a couple of Oscars for, um, I've forgotten her name already, we literally talked about Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Uh, Coleman, that's it, um, and some other noms and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I think for people who listened to the last episode, I didn't actually realise he directed that film. So now I'm going to go search it out because I really liked, I really liked Lobster. And I think that'd be a good one to do as well. But um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, I thought was all right. I quite enjoyed it, but not as much as the, as the other films. Um, but I think this one was the one where he did do a film called Alps. I think that was before this that um, broke him out like more on the national, you know, the kind of Greek or European, if you want to say, um, film circuit or whatever. But this was kind of the film that gave him international um because it won the Prince de or whatever at the 2009 <laughs> Cannes Film Festival. Um, and of course, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. Um, I should really look up who, who won that year, um, but I, I haven't, so apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I might do it by the, by the end of this it's, episode. It's an interactive show, so you can, <laughs> you can Google that yourself. <laughs> yeah, so do it yourself, God's sake. Um, yeah, so there was the Greek Film Center actually supported the project and gave it about 200k euros. Um, but uh, yeah, the director at Yorgos um, said that much of the production was done with help from volunteers who were getting little or no pay. Um, they got another 50k from the production studio. So overall, the budget was 250k euros, which is very small, um, you know, for for a film. And uh, but again, it's kind of for the most part, it's one location. Um, and I think it was, it was definitely, uh, even though it's low budget, I think they got a lot of bang for their buck, I would say. Um, and yeah, in terms of the cast, so, uh, Mary, I don't know, again, how to say surname, but forgive me, Mary Sony, who plays the young daughter, wasn't a professional actress. She was actually a singer in a kind of punk band. Um, the rest are actors. Um, and yeah, you know, the, uh, dog, uh, instructor, do you remember that scene? Yeah. Um, that was actually, I think that's one of her, that's her bandmate, um, 
in in the band they're called mary and the boy he was quite um, good yeah he was good i mean he only had like five lines but actually that's one of, we'll come on to it but that's one of the most important scenes actually of the whole film in its own in its own weird way um but one thing which um i loved when i watched this back was that the dad is this guy called christos stergioglu and once again i'm not sure i'm saying that right and I was watching it going, that's where I know that guy from. And there's a TV series on Channel 4 um, here in the UK called uh, Stath, Stath, sorry, Let's Flats. Have you seen this? It was the first thing I thought when I saw him. I was like, that's the dad from Stath, yeah. Let's Flats. Didn't realise it. I was like, because I was, like, I was looking at him going, where have I seen this guy before? Like, I know I've seen this film before, but... For some reason, he really looks recognisable. It's the bloody dad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> for people, for people that don't know, I tell you what: if you want to be like Mister Fucking Cool in America, if you like want to be one of those guys who are like I watched British Office as soon as it was released or whatever, and I'm so such cooler. Go watch somehow. I don't even know how you'd get it over there, even if it's released internationally. But somehow, go out and find Stathlet's Flats. There's three seasons of it now, um, and it's basically about an estate agent. Um, are they called estate agents in America? Realtors. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and he's Greek, him and his sister, his real life sister as well. And, uh, yeah. And they work for their dad's, um, like estate agents or whatever rental company. And, um, he's played by, yeah, the dad in this, he's fucking great in it as well. He's really good in this and in, uh, Stathlet's flats. And basically, yeah, it's about this guy, this is, um, realtor, this estate agent. who's just like a complete numpty basically, um, and it is so, so fun. It's one of the few TV series that I'm actually like proper laughing when I watch it. I didn't realize you liked it. I, I, I love loved it. it. Yeah. It's one of the best things on TV. That, this country, I really like. Yeah, me too. Which, which again is like, I'm like, why aren't more people watching this? Um, but I feel like this country has got a bit more, um, it's done a bit better, basically, yeah. mainly because it's BBC, um, than Stathlet's Flats. But Stathlet's Flats, I was just like, the the guy, his mate who works there, who's like super posh and quiet, is one of the best fucking characters <laughs> in a comedy ever. Full, full fucking stop. He's uh, up there with like, you know, George Costanza or whatever, because I love Seinfeld. He's not like him. <laughs> He's just like a, such a great, 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 great fucking character. Um, so yeah, go and see him. Anyway, it's got this guy in it and I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, the rest of them were actors, actresses and stuff like that. And uh, funny enough, like the son, whose name, Horestos uh, Pasalis, let's say, every, all the time I was watching it, it's like, he looks like Paul Banks from Interpol. <laughs> <laughs> like he, every time I saw it, it's like, that could just be Paul Banks. It literally looks exactly like him, even like the bad skin, <laughs> the awful skin <laughs> condition. Um, yeah, it's quite funny. But yeah, the only one was, uh, was Mary Sony, um, Sony, who unfortunately uh, died. Um, in 2017 at 30 years old. Yeah. Um, she was, uh, um, I think I've got it here, I've written it down a bit later on, but um, I think it was uh, her lungs filled up. I can't remember what that's called. But I've got it written down somewhere, but uh, which is usually because of heart filled failure. Up fluid. Um, and usually the main cause of that is heart failure, apparently. And um, yeah, so a lot of people saying she was on a lot of drugs and all this stuff. And maybe it was, you know, she overdosed or don't know so they've, they that was they've not it's not really been given that much detail but um yeah unfortunately Probably a result died. making this film well i think there was a well there would have been eight years difference in it so yeah i think she just might, enough time to spiral into a 
crippling, life-destroying well, drug addiction. Yeah. Well, apparently, like her, um, uh, the music thing was still going strong, um, but apparently she was very much in the Athens party scene, um, and yeah, and I think she lost like a bunch of weight. She was on loads of drugs, and I think she was probably. There's, I read somewhere as I was doing some really brief research about depression and all this stuff. So, you know, God knows, but, um, I dipped my toe in the, uh, Athens party scene and I've come out unscathed. Yeah. Well, went to, uh, think... went, went to a wedding and, uh, had a party in a, in a hotel function room. Yeah. I think it's a little bit different. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, moving on, moving on from, from that tragic, tragic bit of news. Um, so the inspiration apparently came from, uh, a discussion that the director was having some friends who were about to get married. And when the director expressed doubts about the idea of like a family institution, he apparently was struck by the idea that, um, about a man who would basically go to the ultimate extreme of protecting his family. Right. And we'll kind of get onto this a bit later as, uh, as well. We're kind of going to like the more the kind of behavioral science <laughs> side of it. Um, yeah, but it's quite funny because he was initially apparently thinking of doing it as a sci-fi movie, like a kind of like post-apocalypse, like how would a family survive when they're trying to like bring a sense of normality when everything's crumbling around them. And I could kind of see that working because the thing is you don't actually see, apart from where the dad works, you don't basically see anything of the outside world. And it's kind of timeless. Like you're not really sure like when this yeah. is, like the car looks old, but they've got like a mobile phone, they've got a really shitty TV obviously they've got shitty TV because they can't have it picking up aerial stuff and it just plays videos. And I love the fact the videos that they watch are just home videos they've made themselves and they can like, they know the exact lines they're going to do. It's so fucking weird. Um, just like how like self-centered it is. It's really, really crazy. Um, and a lot of people said that it's like a 1973 movie called El Castillo de la Pureza. Um, I've not seen it, but apparently it's supposed to be very similar to it. And, um, yeah, there's been no indication um, that it's a copy of it or anything like that. But uh, yeah, as I was just kind of reading stuff through, apparently people said that it's quite similar to this film. Don't know if anyone's seen it. Let me know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, so yeah, what do you think about all that, Dan? So I've been speaking for a bit now. Um, I think that idea of the sci-fi aspect, I think what um, you know, this is all built on is the fact that it is taking place in a real, um, well, you know, hinted at real world situation. Yeah. Uh, if you took it out of that and made it totally fantastical, then I think that would just destroy a lot of what it's, uh, you know, what critics liked about it in, in kind of establishing a you know, dark and sinister and sort of surreal uh, mood. Mm. Um, so, Surprised, honestly, to hear that. Um, yeah. It's quite, I mean, you say like where that concept came from. Um, I did wonder halfway through, I thought, what's, what's the uh, originating idea here? Is it about, you know, this, a character study of this guy and what's motivating him? Or is this a bigger, you know, allegorical thing about uh, how we're controlled by societies, mores, uh, politicians. So that's interesting to know that actually it's just a sort of uh, analysis of a dysfunctional family unit. Um, it's not that a crazy, 
idea. I mean, again, people have gone, oh, it's so dark and disturbing. But, I mean, you just need to dip into any conversation that someone in their 20s is having with their mates, a bit of banter about Joseph Fritzl, and you'll get all the same uh, all the same stuff and probably more and worse. Yeah. Um, well, it's so, worth mentioning because the Fritzl is obviously, for. I don't know, like, how big it was around the world, for instance. I don't know how, how big it was. How big, how big shows of Fritzl in America? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Do you know>? <laughs> <laughs> how famous? Is he like Elvis famous or what? But, Rolls um, into uh, Las Vegas in a limousine. Yeah. Like, stage show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, obviously, it was a big deal, like, because we, yeah. we lived through it. But I was like, do any of the, do any, like, no one speaks about it anymore. Do any younger people know who he is? Um, I've no idea. But yeah, basically, around this time as well, um, Joseph Fritzl uh, was basically for 25 years had kept his family basically locked in a cellar, dirty, horrible, dank cellar, like under tons of behind many doors or whatever. Um, and was like basically, yeah, keeping them under lock and key and doing all kinds of incestuous stuff with his kids and everything down there. Um, in And this horrible thing. And again, there's definitely the guy, the main guy looks a bit like Fritzl-esque, to be honest. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Just and missing the moustache. Yeah, and I think there's definitely like been some kind of, I don't think it's been any direct commentary on it, um, but I think there's definitely like an inspiration for it there. Um, but obviously it's like, I think the dad, so, yeah, so I kind of come onto this a bit later again as well. I don't think the dad has obviously gone to that extreme of Fritzl, if you know what I mean, but... He feels like he's on his way, if that makes sense. Um, there's an element definitely of that, obviously, there. Um, but he's not quite as he's not quite got as far down the line as fucking Fritzl. Oh Joseph. Yeah. Um, Uncle Joe. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like what I loved about what I kind of found great about the movie, um, was that and what I forgot first time uh, when I've watched from when I've watched it first time around was that it is actually genuinely horribly funny, stark, like hor- horribly disturbing in places. But sometimes I'm just like laughing. Like um, that the bit where um, the part of it is that they say that there's like, they've got a brother. They've got a fourth kid, a brother who ventured outside and now he's like trapped out there or whatever. And they like, you know, you've got bits of them like talking to the fence and talking to him and um, a cat comes in. And uh, they they kill the cat, and then the dad's like, "Okay, right, we'll use this to our advantage." So he comes back. He's like, "Look what this cat, the you know, this horrible monster did to your brother. He's killed him." But it's like you see him like put, you know tearing his clothes. That he's got out the card like before he gets to tearing his clothes, putting blood on. But then when he cuts, and he's just fucking standing there. He just looks oh. so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's so funny. And just that shot, I was like, "Fucking, that was so funny." But it's really, it's really fucking part of this like disturbingly dark behavior and um, but i forgot yeah there's there's loads of bits like that where it's like i'm laughing and i really don't know if i should if i should be i find it um i found it was easier to accept as a comedy you know that all that stuff about yeah it's dark at the end of the day i didn't buy into all of that maybe because the characters are so bizarre there isn't much there isn't there isn't like a heart i don't think to the film so it's easy to it's easier to laugh at the absurdity of these escalating events, which are also kind of predictable. So when they happen, it's kind of like more the payoff is like you laugh at it. 
rather mm-hmm. than like truly shocked by it. But like you say, some of it's definitely played for laughs as well, just in like the visual, like that cutaway. I was thinking about that. Suddenly just got all that blood. He looks like bloody young Einstein. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> fluffed his, his hair up as hair's well. All, yeah. Um, I noticed a quote from David Lynch saying it was one of his favourite comedies of the year. If, that wouldn't surprise me that Lynch, <laughs> Lynch would find that funny. Um, and I think like as well, like from the very first scene to the end, um, what I found, it's, well, it's funny you kind of say about the heart thing, right? Because there's an element here where there is no love. There's no actual love within this household whatsoever. Um, and we'll kind of come on to that because part of the, um, uh, when he goes to like sort his dog out, um, they're like, do you want um, an animal or a friend, basically? And he thinks, you know, in it, 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 as a dad, he should want his family as like friends or whatever, but he doesn't. He just wants pure control. And there is definitely like a sociopolitical nature to that. But taking, stripping all that away um, with all these like random bits of information that you're given, what I think, um, and it's funny because when you said you found it quite boring, because I was like, well, I found it from a writing perspective, when they're showing you something and you don't understand what's happening, why they're doing it or things like that, but then it pays off later down the line because you still, then you come to like understand it. I enjoy, and I think that kept me engaged because I was constantly trying to find the answer. They was kept on posing me questions like a mystery, like you're trying to solve a mystery as you're watching it. Um, and from the very first bit where it's like, they're saying, um, you know, C is a sofa, whatever, motorway is a strong wind. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And then obviously you work it out later down the line. They don't necessarily tell you, you're just able to pick up and be like, oh, right. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Now I get it. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. I think that's something that really stuck with me in terms of like storytelling and, and the structure of the film is that it's, you're never sure what's going to happen next, but also you're kind of searching for answers for questions that they've posed to you um, just through showing you the world that has, that they're kind of living in. Um, and that's kind of what I, what I really enjoyed about it. And even until like the very end, there's a scene where, um, the youngest daughter is like licking the dad's ear, like licking the dad, like whatever. And he's just like passed out. Over and he's like, just groggily waking up and she's licking his ear, which is something that like his wife did the mother earlier in like a um, sexual fashion. So already you're kind of subconsciously or consciously kind of telling that up. And then she talks about like the um, harpoon, the special harpoon or something. And he's like, oh, the special harpoon is dangerous. Um, and then you're thinking, oh shit, is that like a fucking sex thing? Because that was like, that's not, it was never really hinted that the dad was kind of like sexually abusing any of the kids or anything like that. And so even up to that point, and that's like five minutes before the end of the film, I'm like, fuck, it's just like unloaded, like another complex, um, another dimension basically to the whole film, just as it's about, just as it's about to end. Um, but to what end? Because so, I, I thought that we've got this at the end now. But it, it just feels like stirring the pot. It's there to, I think, just to, again, shock the audience a little bit more. I don't think it leads to any particular payoff in terms of a comment that the film's making. No, but at the same time, I think that it all kind of comes down to the, like, it's all for power, right? And I think that 
like with the whole thing with the dad um and i've kind of written this out a bit in a bit more um on my notes a bit a better way of saying it but he thinks that he's doing this for like the love of his family which is not he's doing it for like the love of himself he's doing it for power for control um very patriarchal uh, uh structure hierarchy mm-hmm. um and he clearly thinks very little of women but at the same time even though um even though he's doing all this horrible stuff and things like that you've still got this weird thing in the back of your head throughout the film that's like he thinks he's doing the right thing like in his head and so there's even though he's like an unlikable character you're not necessarily thinking him of him as a villainous character i would say even though he kind of is a villain but um you are still holding out kind of a hope that he's doing this forever. But when that piece of information is kind of, it is kind of stirring the pot, but at the same time, they've kind of, I think quite cleverly like switched him. If that's what it's supposed to make you think anyway, which I'm sure it is, they've kind of switched him into like, they've made him like a villain at the last, at the last second. And it's made you realize that there might actually be um, more disturbing stuff that's, happened that you're just not aware of as an audience member and it's actually kind of made you rethink about the um his character throughout the whole thing which for me i thought was like quite a quite a good thing i quite like it when films do that when they recontextualize everything that you've just seen and put it under a different light like right at the end a bit of a switcheroo um so i would kind of say maybe that was the point of doing something like that um but i can see how at the same time it, you might just be like, oh, they're just kind of throwing everything at the wall here just to see what sticks. But for me, I was like, eh, it kind of served a purpose in my head um, for that reason. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I don't have as much faith maybe in the director as you. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is all, anyway, he, was just, so he was just such a figure of fun. Anyway, I could never <laughs> think badly of him. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing as well. It's like, that, but there's still that thing. It's like, you don't know what the harpy and gun is. It could be fucking anything. Like, <laughs> we're thinking it like it's a sexual thing because of what's led up to it. Yeah. It, it might not be. It might be like, you know, but there's also um, a thing throughout the whole film of like phallic imagery, knives, shears, yeah. um, even like, so like part of it, he goes to work at this like dreary eraser head style <laughs> like industrious factory it looks like really bleak and grim and horrible but it's full of these like um you know those massive chimney things whatever they call them pumping out um smoke or whatever again it's phallic 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 it's all to do with this thing of like the 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 male like you know and all this stuff like you think of there's you know and you could go into like the freudian penis envy thing and stuff like that and there's definitely like some freudian stuff kind of going on here um but uh even like if you remember the the um the oldest daughter watches those films um that she starts quoting and reliving after she's seen them and that's that's basically the moment where she's kind of opened up to the outside world um and that's kind of where like the, the kind of it starts to deteriorating the family structure um and jaws is a uh i don't know if people know this or not but um jaws is actually like a sex movie <laughs> essentially um that's why if you look at the cover for instance it's a big phallic shark attacking a um 
young uh, you know, woman in a bikini. Uh, it's not just that it's like, it looks scary. It's a big phallic image. Um, and Why are we talking about Jaws? <laughs> because she she watches Jaws. <laughs> Is that what it, I didn't catch that. Yeah, you know, like, so she watches the films, right? Yeah. And then afterwards, I think first she does like the Rocky thing. So yeah. one of them's Rocky, one of them's Jaws. So she starts like, saying all this stuff, like my head's a punch bag, whatever, and she's putting the water in her mouth and whatever, she's spitting it out, right? Yeah. Very masculine. Very, like Rocky, obviously, it's all about an underdog and stuff, but it's, it's fighting, it's violence. It's a very, like, uh, masculine type movie. Um, and then Jaws uh, was the other one. And if you remember, she's in the swimming pool and she's pretending to be a shark. She's talking about all the different sharks. Those are quotes from Jaws. And then she attacks the brother, um, and all this stuff again, kind of like a penis, everything. Um, and yeah, so, uh, but yeah, Jaws, just to finish off on the Jaws point, Jaws, the book, have you read the book by the way? Mm, no, it's a good, it's a good book. It's, it's not, it's a bit like the film, but not really, but essentially Jaws, the book is about, um, uh, what's his name? The character, Brody, I think his name is God, if, if that's correct, that's a fucking pull out of the dark. <laughs> um, the main guy, uh, it's about him basically being kind of emasculated by his wife because she's like having affairs or whatever and him um, not really feeling like a man, basically. At the same time, there's this shark, shark, phallic symbol. Again, this image of like a, a masculine thing that he's kind of like struggling with or whatever. Um, and then uh, the Dreyfus character um, in the book is more of a like charming Lothario. He, he's basically kind of, kind of seducing the wife which doesn't i don't think happens at all in the film but it's a bit it's basically what the whole kind of book's about really so um i'm really clutching at straws here because, <laughs> because even though she just watched the film but um i don't know i was thinking that, anyway i was thinking that's that's quite interesting um but yeah there's definitely um there's a lot of phallic imagery throughout throughout the whole thing um i feel like anyway uh I was just trying to think of other examples, but yeah, there's like the knife, there's the shears on the cat. Um, yeah, the plumes of smoke from the chimney. So was there any other kind of phallic imagery I was missing? Uh, the cock, the tiny cock. There are the, uh, the uh, Staffelet's flat actor. <laughs> yeah. The throbbing there, hard cock that sucked. Yeah. There was, because um, there's a, uh, they're, 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 they are actually watching porn at one point and there is like an actual blowjob. There's a, yeah, there's a footage from an actual porn film, isn't there? Yeah, and I remember thinking, I thought you, I thought you weren't, are you, were you allowed to do that? Because I, I vaguely remember back in the day thinking that you weren't allowed to show an erect penis in an actual film, otherwise it'd be considered porn. Um, but yeah. obviously, maybe that's not the case anymore, I don't know. Or maybe it's because it was a porn film in a film. Maybe that's how they got around it, I have no idea. Um Sneaky. Maybe it was a bit sneaky. Okay. Um, Did we need it? Did we need it? I didn't think we needed it. I think it was like they've, again, peppered throughout are the, it's it's very sexual film. And I think having these little things peppered throughout, especially like the way they are watching, um, they are watching, because it's all about submissiveness and dominance, right? And the way that it's a woman um, basically uh, sucking a man's dick. Um, is a kind of more of a, a maybe a submissive uh, thing, let's say, and he's watching it with his wife, for instance, um, and all this stuff. And 
again, it's it feels like it's that whole thing of a male dominance that's surrounding the whole thing. So I think, yeah, it's not kind of, it could have been anything, but I think, yeah, they're kind of showing you that not only is this to do with him and his ego, but it's also a sexual thing, the kind of dominance and control that he's putting over everyone, including his wife. Because if you remember, his wife's like in on it, but she knows about the outside world, but she's like getting down on the on the floor and barking like a dog, like the rest of his kids are. Um, if you remember, they are literally at his beck and call. Yeah. Um, and like, she's just kind of going along with everything anyway. Like there's a bit, there's that cool scene where, um, again, another weird thing, but I was like, it's just so weird, but I love it where they're talking to each other, but they're just mouthing out the words. Yes. And, um, they're, so they're not actually talking. They're literally sitting there in silence, but mouthing out the words to each other. I thought that was really cool. But at the same time, so and he was asking stuff like, have you combed your hair? Um, and then like, you know, and things like that. So making her, um, you know, feel like she has to be like presentable all the time or whatever. And I don't know, whatever. And also like with the Christine, the security guard, like he's bought a perfume or whatever. He keeps telling, asking her about the perfume. Mm-hmm. Again, like there's like, and he's paying obviously, he's paying her to have sex with his son, um, which is something we'll come on to as well. Cause that's to do with like the patriarchy and basically, um, well, as I say it now, but basically the fact that trying to keep him sated basically so that he doesn't, um, you know, rise. It's basically doesn't get all fueled up with, <laughs> with like kind of getting him neutered basically so that he doesn't try and rise up and take power or something like that. They're trying to keep him placid, yeah. um, uh, by making him have sex. Um, and also like, um, I was thinking, is it a case of, because he's got his, um, sisters there, but, um, is it a case of forced heterosexuality as well? Like, you know, that whole thing of like, I'm going to make him straight no matter what, like he doesn't have a choice because that's the traditional patriarchal, um, way of look like conservative way of looking things. Because there's a scene, if you remember, he wakes up in the middle of the night he gets into his parents' bed. And with all these kids, they act like children. But he gets into the parents' bed and he hugs the dad. Now, obviously, that could mean anything. That could mean that maybe it's like a reverse Oedipal complex or something like that. I don't know. I could be saying that. But I was wondering, is it, um, is that kind of like, I don't know, like a, a symbol of like um, a homosexual thing or like lust for the father or something like that, that he's trying to like, you know, get him out because as well, if you remember, like he didn't want to, um, when Christine's like, you know, I want you to you know, go down on me, basically. He's like, I don't want to do it. And he says like, and don't tell dad or whatever. So, and he feels like apprehensive every time he's doing it. Like it's clearly a bit uncomfortable and a bit awkward. Well, which is a child's like thing. Mm. Doesn't he? He can't actually, I don't think he actually has sex with her. I think he does, but he says like, yeah, there is that one scene, isn't it? Where he's like, I can't. And she's like, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> yeah, but he says, let's do it like we did last time when he couldn't perform. And just, that, that's the first uh, time we see her with him. And she uh, gives him a helping hand. Yeah, that's right. That's, and then um, that's true. Actually, that's a good point. And then he, uh, and then she turns around as into like, like doggy style, basically. Again, dominance, um, a, a submissive uh, position. Well, no, I mean, it's, well, suggesting uh, he might be more aroused by the concept of uh, sodomy. Bum, bumming. 
Um, also true, but also that plays into the um, dominance sub thing as well in that case. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, God, that's, you know, it's, what a debate that we're, we're having here. What a real <laughs> dirty debate with, with dreadful Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get off of that. And what did you make of the um, mother becoming pregnant with twins and a dog? I love the idea. It's that they, again, like how they, um, how they approached it when it was actually when they were watching the porn, right? And yeah. then he was like, she was like, um, I'm pregnant or whatever. It's like, okay, we say you're pregnant with a dog and you've got a girl and a boy. And then uh, he's like two boys. She's like, uh, no, a girl and a boy. You're fine. And a dog. You have to say about dog. And then, yeah, where they kind of like, <laughs> they announce it. And it's like, yeah, she can just like give birth at any time. She doesn't have to give birth if she doesn't want to, whatever, yeah. all this stuff. Um, yeah. And what's just, all that about? I mean, well, I understand they, they the justification the, for the dog. Yeah. But what was the thing about the twins? About, about the kids. I'm not sure. I thought it was an element of like, um, that they will want to know where kids come from and perhaps it's like they don't actually want to say. So the fact that she can be like, oh, I, this is where I can have these kids or I, I can't. I did wonder that because I was like thinking, are they going to bring more children in or something like that? Is um, she actually pregnant? No, she's too That's old it. for a start, I think, like without saying look a dick. So um, that conversation of her with the, I mean, before we get to the conversation with the, children the conversation between her and the father i mean what was going on there Some i mean sort of it might psychological be play going on i wondered if the fact that um and correct me if i if i'm wrong i think the fact that they needed to get the dog there that it made more sense for her to be pregnant with a human and a dog rather than she's pregnant with a dog does that make sense in its own weird way <laughs> Like, no, so, <laughs> well, as in, like, if she's like, I'm pregnant, and uh, you would obviously, even as an idiot kid, assume it's going to be to another human. But if you're like, oh, I'm pregnant with like two humans and a dog, then when the dog comes and it's like, oh, yeah, the humans I decided not to give birth to, then um, it makes a bit more sense in their head that, okay, yeah. that it's like she didn't just, like, dogs don't come. Like she can't just give birth to a dog or whatever. Um, it will be a human and a dog, which kind of weirdly might make it seem a bit more <laughs> realistic to their simple minds. I'm just, I'm guessing. I've literally, I don't know the, the actual yeah. answer to it. That's a good theory. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess like one of the other things you come on to, um, I'm, I'm kind of flitting around here, uh, but what did you think? We kind of talked about the framing and all this stuff a little bit. Um what did you think about the actual, like the color, the look of the, the actual film? Um, what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, I quite like this. I mean, you'll have more to say about it, but it's it kind of looked a bit desaturated, I thought. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it takes place in these very kind of, kind of stark rooms. Um, so lots of white. When I think about, I think of the white and like the, the green of the lawn. Yeah, that's the prevailing kind of color palette. Mm. And the blue of the pool, maybe. Uh huh. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because 
You're you're absolutely right. I think the fact that there were no real big bold colours, um, which they kind of do come a little bit into the end in different parts, um, suggests like a lack of creativity and a lack of personality. They wear they wear very they basically wear pajamas essentially. Like they wear nothing that will distinguish them from anything. There's mm. there's no. It's also part of the thing that there's no individualism. Yeah. Um, and that kind of resonates to you, what they're wearing, even though there's an, they, they still have their separate characteristics. There's nothing that distinguishes them really from one another. Um, and I also think like when things happen, like with the blood and stuff like that, it kind of helps it stand out more. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's very, uh, I also think they're um, soothing colours, white and all this stuff, especially the fact that it's clean, the fact that it's like, untainted and stuff like that mm. um it's classifying repre- yeah exactly it's kind of, it's represented to stuff like that um but yeah i do i think the same thing i think the like red blood green grass the whiteness of kind of everything the powerness um and yeah and also like even though it's only in it for a sec like the grayness of like where the dad works and stuff like that it feels very gray it's um, the Soviet kind of uh, mm. vibes. It makes me think a bit again, thinking of David Lynch, like in the film. Yeah, that kind of like the the really verdant green and that blue, and then everything else being sort of like so drab and sort of generic. Mm. Makes me think of his uh, view of suburbia. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is. That's the thing as well with it is that it's actually quite idyllic. Like they've got the pool; it all looks really nice. It's quite big, you know. Um, space they've got even though it's clearly out in the middle of fucking nowhere um but that's it like this kind of dreamy you know realistically dreamy um house and like these big fences which would normally be to keep people out are actually like keeping them in like a prison basically yeah. um yeah so it's that thing again you're absolutely right like the classic shot in uh was it blue velvet i think mm. where it's like the green green grass and there's and when he finds the ear or whatever but then there's that shot that Lynch uses where it goes under the grass and you've got all like the mud and the worms and the creatures and all this stuff as a representation of like what's actually happening in these like, you know, white picket fence neighborhoods. And that's the same thing. Like it looks idyllic. It looks clean. It looks white. It looks bright. It looks nice enough, but actually there's some really horrible, disturbing, torrid stuff kind of going on um, underneath all that. Um, what did you think? Uh, so I guess one of the big things, um, which kind of starts a bit funny, but it's actually is kind of gets a bit more disturbing towards the end, is um, the language in the film. And I don't just mean Greek; I mean in terms <laughs> of um, in terms of how they how the parents kind of control language and control the words and semantics and things like that. Um, like, what did you think about that? And also, like on top of that. Um, the actual dialogue itself, because it's very straight, it's very emotionless. Um, and I think that kind of adds to the fact that there's like no love in that house. Um, yeah, what did you think? Um, a couple of thoughts on that. I thought, thought later on, um, you know, yeah, some of that stuff around controlling language. Um, so the obvious example is maybe uh, pussy. Mm-hmm. They, they say, what's, what's, what's a pussy? And I can't remember what they say now. What's, uh, it's like pussy is a big oh, it's a light, light or something. So, uh, and then she's the example saying like, when the pussy goes out, the room is drenched in darkness or something, yeah. <laughs> something like that. 
and he uh, asks about a zombie and she says, oh, it's like a small yellow flower. So, um, I, I mean, I just thought this was really a kind of commentary on, and this is why I thought, you know, is this an allegory for a bigger thing about society, how politicians use language, how the media uses language to, uh, you know, re- re-represent things or sanitize things to shield people from the truth. Um, Regarding the sort of earlier stuff, this is one of the things that I thought made it a bit, to me, like derivative. Um, this kind of like stilted conversation, which is a bit of a cliche of, I think, art house films of that era. Mm. Um, you know, they have these sort of what looked to be kind of irreverent, surface level, silly conversations um, that only kind of, yeah, they kind of speak of. Um, sort of how how flat their world is. I think there's an early one where she's talking about, do you like fish pie or cheese pie? And yeah. it's sort of comical. Um, but yeah, I thought again, I thought all of that was a bit of a trapping of a early writer, a young writer, maybe an inexperienced writer who's just sort of emulating some of what he's seen in other films. Yeah, I think, I do think there's a reason for it though, more so in this film than in other films. But I do know exactly what you mean. Um, I think just because, as I was kind of, as I was kind of saying, there's like no love or emotion in that house. So they don't know how to talk to them each other properly on a, in a loving way. That's, and it kind of comes through when they act out quite violently, especially like the older sister. Um, it's in a it's in a weird way like uh, there's just no passion or anything there. It's that side of it. Also is and I think this is kind of like a, a kind of big point and I'll come on to it a bit more a bit a bit later. But the fact is they don't have it's the individualism thing again, but it's also like the lack of creativity. Mm. So the reason why their dialogue is quite stilted is because there is zero creative or inspiration or anything going on in that house. So that's why it's very flat, it's very devoid of art or, or anything like that. Um, so I do know what you mean because it feels like it feels it feels uncomfortable and it feels weird and it feels like dialogue that people wouldn't naturally have with each other. But I think it works better here than it does in those other kind of art house movies where you're right, it feels very derivative, it feels like it's trying to be different for the sake of being different. Whereas here, what I'm trying to say really is that I feel like there's like in the world that they've created, there's more, um, it fits better than it does perhaps in in other films. Usually it's used in films to create that mood though, I think of like detachment, emotional detachment, mm. um, an uncomfortable atmosphere. Um, so again, I think I feel it's just like a, a, a tool that he's deployed. Yeah. Um, I don't see any, yeah, might, there are other ways he could have done that, I think. Um, to me, I just, I just felt like with things like this and other bits and pieces, it took me out of the film because I just felt like I was seeing the writer at work, you know. You know, you can see like the, the mechanisms going. Yeah. Um, that's how I felt. I felt like I was peering behind the curtain on some of these uh, techniques. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't like what you saw. Um, I saw a 30-year-old Greek man um, <laughs> desperately trying to make a name for himself. Yeah, and a name for himself he did therefore make. 
I think as well, like with some of the with some of the dialogue, um, there's that one bit that stands out to me when um, the sisters forced to have sex with um, the brother, mm. uh, which again is all about male dominance. Like her needs aren't wanted or catered for; she is used um, to basically make the boy, the son, um, have his way. Basically, again, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, she says something like, oh, um, after they've done it, whether they're kind of sitting there, she says something like, if you do that again to me, then I swear on my daughter's life, I'm going to get your clan and fuck yeah. your neighborhood bitch or something. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and this is yeah. part of like the, it's, this is part of like a sequence of, sh- of events, basically, where the older sister is starting to like, her mind's basically kind of expanding um, exponentially at this point. Um, so I was like thinking, I don't remember that quote from definitely. I don't think it's from Jaws. I don't remember it being in Rocky. It might be, um, but I don't remember it being in Rocky. And I was thinking, yeah, okay. In my head, what would be quite nice is if she's made that up herself using some of the words that she's found. So now again, she's starting to get creative. She starts, she's, by seeing something from the outside world, it's inspired her. And through the use of language and words, which is very important in this film, she's constructed her own sentence of how she actually feels, which taps more into, like, even though it's still unnatural, it feels like it's a sentence about how she actually feels and a bit more passionate than she's had before. And this is part of her, like, um, character development, let's say. Nice theory. I <laughs> I think it's from a Western. <laughs> <laughs> but she, where, where would she have seen it? Well, there is an element where, like, I was thinking as I was watching it, because um, when she does that dance thing, right, which is basically her breaking free of everything, there's moves in there that feel like they're from Footloose or Flashdance and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, where the fuck has she got this from? Because she's only seen those two videos. And then if you remember, Dan, like when we used to get VHSs out back in the day, especially rentals, and blockbusters they would have trailers at the beginning um and a lot as well so there's part of me thinking you got jaws you got rocky it's around that same time right so she probably and i'm again complete just completely theorizing here she probably saw trailers to those films or to other 80s films that might have similar moves or whatever yeah um and uh yeah and um that's where she's kind of copied it from perhaps um and you're right if it sounds like it's from a western or something like that then perhaps that's something she saw in a trailer for something and she's used it and plucked it from that um also the wikipedia page says that the dance has elements of flash dance choreography yeah well it does though because if you see it so like she's doing this like running thing right and if yeah, you yeah. if you remember in um I think that one is flash dance. It's like, she's a maniac. maniac. Yeah. That's what that's from. <laughs> it's like there's water and all this stuff coming in. Um, it always reminds me of that scene. Did you ever watch Tommy Boy? Um, no, what's that? No, it's a fucking, it's Chris, um, Chris Farley and uh, the little one. Um, it's one of my favorite Chris Farley films and there aren't many because he obviously died quite young. I don't know. Well, there's just a bit where basically um, he's there at a gas station or something and he's getting hosed down. And he's doing the flash dance dance. Um, and it, it always makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. And it reminded me of this when I was watching it. Um, it's quite, again, it's like another comical scene, isn't it? And the reaction of the parents is really, um, well, that's where the laugh is, right? Because they're absolutely horrified. Yeah. 
because again, it just represents her like breaking away from his control, his exposure to outside ideas. Yeah. I mean, that whole dance sequence is, is quite good because it's that whole thing, again, very childlike, putting on a performance of the parents or whatever. And they do that weird interpretive dance, but it's obviously very dry, very stilted, very awkward, like horrible. It's also like, again, clearly coming from a place, a family, parents, whatever, where there's just no passion. There's zero things. This is like, they're just, they're just moving things, like how they feel like it should maybe be moved. They don't know what dancing is because dancing is from the soul or whatever. And at the same time, the music that he's playing is very sad. It's a bit weird. It's like a classical almost music. Um, and if you look, the oldest the oldest daughter, I mean, obviously this is coming to a turning point for her. It's just so deadpan, so serious, clearly not enjoying it, especially when the younger one is like, I'm tired, I want to sit down. And so she's like now on the spot dancing and you can tell she's just like, fuck, <laughs> basically fuck this. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, Talking about of, music. Oh, come. Now carry on. I was going to say, to I was going to say, it's like also like when she's doing that dance, yeah, it's very manic. It's very formless. Um, so it, yeah, this is her kind of, as we're saying, like breaking free, kind of being herself. Um, and if you remember, like literally just right before this, when they're doing, um, each other's hair or makeup, or whatever, um, she was like, oh, I think my dog tooth's coming loose. Um, and the whole thing with dog tooth and why it's called dog tooth is because there's that myth. Um, there's the myth within the, what they've told them is that you're ready to go out once your dog tooth falls out. Or which, canine. Or your canine. Yeah. Sorry. As it's known. Um, and that's obviously like, it's interesting because in theory, that means that in the world they've created, the dog tooth is actually like a symbol of hope um, yeah. that keeps them going. So a bit like matrix, right? Where it's like, um, they're, you know, they feel like if, if you go for like matrix revolutions or whatever, they feel like they have to have the element of choice. They can't feel like they're actually like in a simulation. They can't feel actually trapped. So by telling them that dog tooth come out, they've always got that persistent hope. Of course, it's never going to fucking come out of its own accord until you get to like a million years old, um, <laughs> and actually fall out. So again, it's another means of control and it's a semi-religious thing as well like as if it's something to keep the masses in control by telling them um it's, it's almost like there's an afterlife right like yeah um you know once this falls out once you pass over you can go out and you'll be ready and it'll be great um but until that point you have to stay here um and again it's funny because there's dramatic irony in there I and mean, we know that the tooth won't grow back exactly yeah so yeah, and it's, and the fact that she's like, oh, it's feeling a little bit loose, is obviously her being like, I want to get rid of it, but also, she's like, there's that hope is starting to like come. So it could be psychosomatic. She could actually think her tooth is actually coming loose because she's starting to like really think about breaking free and going loose. This is just before the dance sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, if you were going to try and control your family in a fashion to uh, the father in this film. What, what are the mythologies that you'd create? <laughs> I would just, um, uh, I would probably follow a similar tact of just creating fear. It's very, mm. very controlling. And there's, we'll kind of get into, I want to get into this a bit more later, but in terms of like uh, how the film symbolizes fascism, basically. And, um, you know, controlling uh, language, controlling the media and stuff like that, but also constantly um, keeping up this element of the fear of the other, of something just outside, you know, the, something just outside the door 
that you should be scared of and they're the only ones who can you know fix it stuff like that so i basically what i'm trying to say is i would go down the fascist route as well <laughs> to get my family in control why what what were you thinking i, I think i'd put them in the say- basement for its style Oh, well, yeah, do, obviously do, as a starting practically, point. Practically, do it. As a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I was thinking more like, um, what specifically might I say? I like that whole, you know, take, you know, it'll grow back and then you'll be ready. But I'd probably, I'd probably make it the cock. I'd say, when when you'll be ready to leave. When, when, yeah, when your cock falls off and when it grows back, then you'll be a man, my son. <laughs> it's like your baby teeth. You have yeah. your baby cock and it'll fall off and come back. Um, what happens to, her, to the daughters, though? Oh, there won't be any of those. Won't be any of those. They'll have to service the the boys, like in this film, obviously, oh, and, uh, and then they'll be put out to pasture when they're uh, all used up. Oh god, horrible! See, we can make a much better film. Just we can just riff it out on this show. It'll be so much darker and more disturbing, and everyone will love it. We'll get an award. I don't. I don't doubt that. You can film it here in my flat. <laughs> <laughs> Just need willing, really nice participants. Little... <laughs> got a fantastic cupboard under the stairs. You have, yeah. You've locked me in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't get out for three really weeks. Authentic, authentic Fritzel vibe. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to expand down into that. Come on, if you're going to do Fritzel, do him serious. That 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 man put a lot of effort into that. <laughs> do place, him justice. But... Yeah, don't just don't just think it's not, it wasn't just a cupboard under the stairs. God, he'd be rolling his eyes if he heard you say that. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I get, uh, as well. Kind of so going, going back to the film, I like the way that it's um, <laughs> that uh, they're rewarded with stickers, like yeah. like a child, and they're counting them. Um, and yeah, it's just so like it's so nothing. It's that again. It's that element of control, like. You know, you make them fight each other. Like they're always playing games. They're always in competition with one another. Yeah. Um, and that's to do with control. Again, like give them something else to focus on. So they're not, you know, rebelling basically against themselves. Um, I like that before they established that, I mentioned all the stuff about stickers. I think in one of those early scenes where um, that security guard first goes in to have a session with the boy. Mm. Well, the man. Um, I noticed that all the stickers on the headboard. Yeah, they've got a really cool shot where she's got like, she's kind of grabbing it and looking at it. And at first you're just thinking, or I was thinking, anyway, I was like, God, he's such a kid. He's got fucking stickers on his bedboard. But yeah, it's- even before that, even when they're und- undressing, you can see they're all quite noticeable on the headboard. Mm. And you just, uh, it's, it's a nice little way of establishing that it's like, it's still his childhood bed. Mm-hmm. He's not really, you know, bloomed into a proper man. No. And, um, it's, and it's also like, it's the only, it's really the only art, let's say, that's in the, that's in, that's in the yeah. house. Um, and also I like the way, like, when they play, like, the Frank Sinatra song, their granddad, apparently. Um, that was funny. That was funny. And it's like, he's reinterpreting the lyrics that are saying all like this kind of, again, like fascist propaganda style stuff of yeah. like um, love your parents or whatever, um, you know, act good. Um, and all these things like kind of, again, throwing in these like uh, codes and messages of to like, to live by rather than 
the art itself rather than like the kind of like the you know i mean i think it's just fly me to the moon right it's not like this crazy thing but it's about it's about love again it's about passion and stuff like that but no very practical again using it as another opportunity for like control um it's quite interesting so i guess like with the three um with the three kids you've got like the son who is his own thing and to be honest like he's very um docile uh i suppose is the word like he's very faithful to his dad and his parents generally um he doesn't really play up he always wants to do like you know always wants to do well um and yeah he didn't really there was no like i can't remember if he did anything particularly violent i don't think he did like a lot of violence was done towards him like when the older sister like cuts him with the knife um and again like with the little sister and this bit was funny, even though it should have been hit, hit him with the hammer on his leg and then blamed it on a cat. And so yeah. the cat came in and did it and ran out. Um, and again, that is, but it's that childish thing. And like, I have it with my own kids where they will like strike out against each other, but they still haven't gotten over that because they've not developed, they stunted. But that kind of violent, those violent outbursts are still happening, but obviously they're adults now. So they're happening at a much more deadlier um, degree. Uh, which I found, um, which I found quite quite interesting. But um, the younger sister, I quite liked the way that her whole thing was about being more caring. That she um, she was wanted to be like a doctor or something like that. She was obsessed with like caring for people and the medical side of it, and you know the CPR and all that stuff. Um, and I think at one point she says that she it was to like she wanted to like help her brother, the one that's over the wall that doesn't exist. Um, and that might be true, but also like, if you remember, she's like licking the others. She wants to like give pleasure, whatever. At one point she steals like cake and she throws it over the fence as if to give like the other brother who's out there. And I just thought that was quite a nice little, um, character trait that they yeah. still tried to, that they tried to give her, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, and yeah, and Did you, that brother exist? Was he a complete fabrication or had he escaped? No, I think, no, I think, well, he might, maybe. I don't think they actually addressed it directly. But at one point, the dad says, oh, we've, when they find out about the cat, whatever, it's like, oh, we have to end this farce or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think he might have just got bored about the brother being on the other side. But again, I think there's that element of they've created this story, right? Where it's like, um, yeah, you've got a brother, you've got someone that you should care about and he's out there and he's fucked basically and you don't want to be like him. Um, but yeah, they never really address like what, you know, what is happening. <laughs> like what's what he's supposed to be doing is if, if he's just living out there, like how big the, the world is or whatever. Um, I thought he could have existed and that's... Possibly. He's, he's, he's absconded. And then they've used that as an opportunity to say, yeah, he's having a terrible time out there. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with the dog uh, as well, like as we said, there's that important thing. It's like, yeah, do you want an animal or a friend? Um, you know, do you want him to respect you and do as you say? And he's like, yes. And again, that's how he feels about his entire family. It's just pure control. What I thought was interesting um, was that when he goes to get the dog, the dog doesn't come to him. So either I was, I was like, okay, this is interesting. So either they've done it because it's supposed to be that he's terrified of him could be 
could yeah that could be the case that or it could be that he's like rebelling against him and like this man who clearly has a fucking small dick problem or whatever like he think he's got to like feel like a man by like having this control over his family and beating up women and all this stuff and his daughters or whatever um as to like you know he, he's being emasculated by like their dog or something like that do you know what i mean which is why they probably sent him to this um guard dog school or whatever as well not just for practical reasons but also maybe to kind of get him to respect and him as a you know, master yeah i thought well i just thought it was a parallel uh, showing you know this uh, concept of embedding discipline mm. so he didn't he didn't come because he um well I didn't, I didn't get the idea he was scared i thought he just didn't uh come to the command because as he said you it was only on level two and mm. um and then like you know and Therefore, the children need to continue their training to get to level five, as this as this dog does, mm. and like the progress of the dog, you know, throughout is kind of mirroring the progress that they're supposed to be be making. I think when the dog never appears, um, you know, that's sort of like something's going wrong in this um, this environment that he's created. Mm. Yeah. Um, so a little bit foreshadowing there that you know something's gonna erupt yeah it's a good point actually I'll tell you what let's take a little break there um, and uh, yeah refill our tanks a little bit and yeah we'll be back in one minute Μόνο τότε ο οργανισμός είναι έτοιμος να αντιμετωπίσει όλους τους κινδύνους που παρεφυλάνε. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. And we're talking about dog tooth. So, Dan. Christine, the security guard. What, tell me what you thought about her. God, she was a strange character. Um, obviously, we find out later in the film when he visits her in her apartment, she has a quite sort of like lonely life. Um, you kind of question her motivations. Presumably, they're completely financial initially in kind of being involved in this situation with the son. Um, but then obviously her behaviour and interactions with the uh, eldest daughter, uh, start to portray her in a slightly different light. Um, she's actually, you know, that's a, a vulnerable person and she's actually abusive and coercive uh, with her. Mm. Um, it's, a, yeah, another, another kind of like fucked up character, actually. Just on a different plane, a slightly different level to the father, but she is in her own way. Um, you know, an, an abusive person. Yeah, it's interesting because she's um, she's the catalyst that kind of starts the events by by basically bringing in the videos, the films. Um, and but yeah, you're right. Like she basically she basically abuses. Yeah, as you said, this like underdeveloped adult. Let's be honest, mentally anyway, a childlike. Let's say, um, and. And I was like, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, cause she tried the son and the son didn't want to do it. And then I'm like, is she just uh, like, she's just not getting, she's just sexually frustrated or something like that. And she's trying her luck or whatever. But then, yeah, like pretty soon you're just like, oh, this is actually like, this is weird. Um, but in the same way she's been paid to do sexual stuff with the son, it's that thing of like the you know, like you, you pass things on. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And she's now done that to her again. It's a power thing. She might've felt like by being with the son and being paid to do it, she's not in any, any power. And then suddenly she finds herself in a situation um, where she's like, I can have this power over this girl, this woman, um, and I'm going to use it. And it's that it's again, like the idea of power um, is, fundamental basically to this to this film and i think it kind of plays a part here because then that is then that kind of gets the older sister in our eyes um she you know she's now she's vulnerable anyway but now she's like in a submissive um position but then it's that thing of like the abuser um the abuse becoming the abuser again because then she obviously maybe doesn't like the idea of being submissive but she kind of comes on to a bit later she's like i want something else but immediately she starts testing it out and testing the boundaries with her younger sister yeah. and being like, you know, lick me here basically and all this stuff. So it's that, it's that idea of people and their, um, uh, and their power and where they are on a hierarchy and a structure and where they want to be and where they don't want to be. And like everything, like a structure within every single, um, social structure there are mini structures um and 
it feels like it's kind of playing playing with that right so we've got like the dad at the top of this structure and now underneath we've now got christine and then there's the the power structure within like the siblings whatever and all this stuff which is constantly being played for um but yeah it's all very interesting but i did think they so they kind as you said they kind of switched her to where she was she was kind of a victim but not really a willing participant let's say to what this, yeah. this scheme um even though it's quite disgusting in its own way but then she we're like oh she's totally taken advantage of this woman and she knows more and we know that so we're kind of put her in a bit more of a villain context so when the dad actually goes over and he smacks her around with the vcr obviously that's not on basically but at the same time you've seen her as a villain you know she's about to something's going to happen because the dad's found out whatever and all this stuff and and i, I use this I, I say this knowing everything about what the film's about but he's almost put in a heroic light by doing so not saying that beating a woman around with a fucking vci is a heroic move but as in like we were like oh she's a bit of a like dick she's a bit of a villain in this and he's just fucking whacked her um, and again, there's that element where it's like, you're not siding with the dad, but, um, you under you, it's kind of reinforcing that fact that he feels like he's protecting his family again. Yeah. Or cause, cause he could have fucking killed her for all we know. Um, well, so, yeah, there's an unresolved bit of narrative there, isn't there? Cause, uh, I assume not. Um, and you kind of think, yeah, what, what would have happened after the events of the film anyway? Would she, she knows so much and would she have reported that incident to the police and would they be investigated? And in a way, he, he's got unfinished business there. He should have done a better job. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's as well, it's that um, there's that thing of like violence always leads to more violence. And they do it with the kid. Like the older sister is the one that gets like smacked around the head with a VCR tape. And that scene, I was like, how the fuck did they do that? Because it looks like she's seriously getting smacked around the head. They just whacked her. You even see, you see bits like flying out. And I was like yeah. thinking, like, that looks like it hurts. Like, yeah. And she doesn't look protected in any way. So it's quite interesting if they did that for real. I quite um, liked that. You spoke, spoke about, like, uh, no creativity in that environment. But he's very creative in that moment. Because he's offended by the videotapes. Yeah. So he's like, let's use the videotapes to a- attack you. And he creates that very, uh, he's quite a dab hand, actually. Quite, quite yeah. a handy guy. Creates that kind of like whacking glove. Yes. <laughs> Get the well, duct tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, she's definitely like the one who's like closer to like freaking out. Um, because yeah, she's getting more and more violent by the looks of it. Um, but also, yeah, the, the way the mother or anyone seems to deal with her is just by like being the shit out of her basically. And she does the same. She does it to the brother, to the uh, little sister as well. I think maybe not so much. Um, can't remember now um and yeah i think one of the things we should also mention is that there's no names so there's nothing to distinguish them from others and again it's a sense of control because he doesn't want them to feel like there's any individual identity and not to get too far into identity politics but i think the fact that there's that very important scene um where she wants to be called bruce um and she's like, right, if you say Bruce, I'm going to turn around. Because, and it's it's basically, it's that Freudian thing, right, of like the, you know, what is it, the ego and the id and all this stuff. And basically you're becoming self-aware. 
Um, I think there's that uh, what's, there's that mode of thought which is called um, uh, what's it called like mirror, like the mirror gaze or something like that, which is essentially when you are able to distinguish yourself from inside your brain to you exist in the world in the outside world. Um, you do this as a kid uh, by looking at, in a in a mirror. That's how you are able. Um, to realize that you exist basically in a way. And it's a little bit like that, if that makes sense. Um, so by saying that she wants to be called Bruce, she's forming her own identity. She's breaking away from the system. She's become an individualism, uh, become an individual. There's no more tribalism or anything like that. She's not just like the, the oldest one. She's not part of the group anymore. She's called Bruce. Yeah. And that's how she wants to reply. She's not part of the, uh, part of the group. Um, and yeah, she's I, essentially become self-aware, basically. I assumed, um, and this adds credence to the idea that she might have seen a Western, um, is that she's taken that from Bruce Wayne. Not Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Batman. Yeah. <laughs> the, the famous Western. <laughs> Batman goes West. <laughs> Bruce Lee. <laughs> Bruce Lee. Yeah, that famous <laughs> Western. No, what, um, what Bruce? Do you mean Bruce Lee? Bruce Willis? <laughs> Bruce Willis, I think, has been in a couple of cover of things. Uh, um, it, yeah, it's possible that, uh, yeah, she's got that from one of the films. Because again, I don't remember, um, maybe there was it in Jaws, I don't know, um, someone called Bruce. But uh, yeah, I don't remember a Bruce character in either of the films. Um, it's just, if, where's it coming from, this name Bruce? I just think mm-hmm. it's got to come from one of those films, right? Yeah. She's got to. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess and also one, one of the other things we'll just briefly touch upon is that um, at the, yeah, as we kind of spoke about the, the fact that the son chooses, basically gets in a bath with his two sisters and chooses which one he's going to have sex with. Um, and that's when, uh, you know, you realise things are kind of starting to go wrong. It's also part of the like essentially the older sister um just take that's too much basically like it's kind of it's really start, all this stuff is starting to fuck with her head massively that's the breaking point isn't it and yeah i think that was the real breaking point when that happened and she says that thing to um like you know fuck you bitch whatever to her brother um i think that's just where because right after that it's the kind of dancing so it's all these things in sequence is her slowly wanting to break free and realizing that she can't stay there. Um, she can't stay there anymore, basically. And there's also the scene where she finds the phone and she realized that, you know, <laughs> salt, whatever that means, because she must've obviously seen a phone in the film and realized it's a communication device. So when she digs it out and realizes it's, that's exactly what she used for. She starts to understand that actually there is a world out there. And what's actually quite funny, I suppose, is that, Jaws and Rocky are obviously not real life. <laughs> They're films. So it's like her seeing the real world. It's not actually the real world, is it? It's yeah. just, uh, you know. Um, and I think this kind of, uh, I was thinking about this a bit. I was kind of taking a bit of a thought experiment with it. But I was wondering if the film is about how films um, basically save the day, <laughs> save humanity. <laughs> Because, um, and, well, just creativity generally, that the world is basically nothing without um, 
without art, without creativity, without inspiration and stuff like that. And this is, uh, it's a symbolism for many things, but how the fact that film is, it is a film and that film was able to kind of like, yeah, save the day. Um, I don't know, do you think there's any, anything in that? Yeah. Um, and maybe just like layers of reality and perception. You know, like you say, she buys into a, a new concept of reality based on something that we know is false. Um, within a uh, construct, an environment that's been created by one man's vision. Um, and then we're watching it all unfold in our uh, nice little living rooms. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so let's let's talk about the end of the film real quick. Um, there's, but before before the very end of the film, there's a shot of the son and the youngest daughter, like having a kiss on their lips and cuddling on a bed. And I wondered if, again, it was one of those things, as you said, like stirring the pot, but I wondered if this was like, oh, is this like, are they like finally like, oh, she's gone? Like, is this like suddenly some weird romantic thing between that brother and that sister that they're like now together? Or is it just that they're like consoling each other? Um, I don't know, what do you think? That's how I felt about it. I initially thought, oh, maybe now he's just gone, oh, I'm just going to pick you. But I, th- I thought it, it yeah. wasn't really, it didn't feel like a sexual moment. It felt more like a um, yeah, comforting. They were, they were deeply uh, disturbed and upset by her disappearance. Because presumably they're thinking, you know, but they she's gone quite like happy. the other. Did you think so? Oh, I, mm. I don't know. Like, I saw it then? as like, I thought, I saw it, I mean, I don't know, but like I saw it as like two young lovers almost because they're cuddling and kiss on the lips and I believe they're smiling. I might have made that up, but to, yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting that you thought that cause I was watching that and afterwards I thought, I don't really know what to make of that shot. No. Like, why was that quite... put in? Obviously it's ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. So, um, yeah. So what happens is basically the um, elder sister knocks out her dog tooth, um, with a weight canine and canine and, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm such a dick uh, canine, canine and um the dog tooth um and she's i love that shot where she's just smiling with the blood trickling out like i love that to her it what makes this weird is that she could have just walked out but still she's able she feels like she's cheated the system that has been created around her. So she still doesn't have that intelligence enough, basically, to think this is all a lie. She still believes mm. that the myth that the dad has created. And this is important because of what happens next, right? So she um, she climbs into the car and they're told that the only way that um, they can travel outside is in the car. Hence why the dad goes off in the car every night and all this stuff. So she climbs to the car. Now, I thought two things. I thought, one, smart. That's clever. She thought of that. Then now going back after the end of the film, because what happens is they look around for her, they can't find her, the drag drives to work the next morning. And um, it's just a shot for like a very long time. I'd say about 10 seconds at least, which is actually quite a long time, um, of the boot of the car. And you're expecting her to get out. Nothing happens and it just cuts. And that's the end of the film. Now, in my in my head, when I first watched that, I was like, she would have got out, she would have made a run for it. And I feel happy about that. And she would have made it. But I think after watching it the second time, that 
she stays in the car. And I think she doesn't get out because of the fact that she knocked her dog, her canine, she knocked <laughs> her canine out before she got, before she got in the car. Because to her, um, it might have been like, it might have been more of a symbol. But I think it was because she still believed, like, what she still kind of believed basically what her dad was kind of telling her. And that's why she got in the car. It's because she thought that potentially would have been the safest way to get out of the building. But probably sitting in there, she didn't really know what to do next. And it wouldn't surprise me if she stayed in the back of that car and went all the way back home afterwards, um, if that makes sense. Because I imagine that at that point, they're kind of in there thinking, will she get out? Won't she get out? But And she's probably thinking the same thing. But then she's kind of still believed the rules that her dad have set her in this world for her to get to that point anyway. I don't think she's kind of taken that extra step step of rebellion or intellectual individualism in order to ascertain that what she's been told is 100% a lie. Um, what did you think? I agree with you. Um, yeah, obviously she's questioning enough to go through with this sort of act of rebellion. But like you say, it's it's not a full rebellion. It's cheating the system. And she still, I thought, had an unwavering uh, belief in kind of the gospel. Um, I thought it was a pessimistic ending. Um, you know, the fact that she runs away and immediately crawls into that boot. And you, you know why she's doing it by crawling into the boot of the car, like she's put herself in the most boxed in place possible rather than going out and being free in the world straight into that car. Um, And that lingering shot on the boot at the end, uh, to me, um, probably because the type of films I've seen (laughs) resonated as a kind of like horror film sort of thing where, you know, all that comes out of the boots of cars are dead girls. Yeah. No, so I think it's it a, a downer, downer of an ending to me. Yeah, I think it's a good call. Um, yeah, I didn't really think about that. The fact that it's kind of she's boxed herself in and into almost like another prison. Um, that yeah, it's in an even smaller space. If anything, she hasn't actually got free at all, which um, is still controlled by the father. Yeah, true. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think I definitely came at it second time round with that pessimistic thing. Um, then I did first time around, which was like, she's smart enough to figure it out. And I think, I think literally um, I had believed that she was intelligent enough to kind of get out, but she's not. Um, and that's kind of part of the thing as well is that they have, they seem to know a lot of like facts, like their education is based on a lot of factual stuff, um, but zero emotional, obviously social um, intelligence whatsoever. Um so, yeah, I was kind of like, I was playing around with a few other ideas. We kind of touched upon some of them. I'm just going to, I made some notes, some other notes here to see what you think about them, Dan. Um, uh, I guess like one of the big things here is, and uh, with a lot of um, this director's films, uh, lying is basically kind of a big deal um, in a lot of his films. And it's usually lying to other people, but in essence, it's actually about the characters lying to them themselves which is usually an important motif for these films. Um, and it's, I think it's that struggle that people actually find quite engaging. It makes it uncomfortable and tense. And, you know, you keep wondering how far someone is basically willing to go to keep up the lie to themselves, to keep their true um, reality hidden. And that's definitely the case like with the dad, right? So he's keeping his family under lock and key. 
He's emotionally, physically, and we believe sexually abusive at home. Um, when in his own twisted reality that he set for himself, um, he believes he is protecting them. He's selling it to himself that he's actually being like the good guy here. When the monster that he's actually trying to like protect them from is himself, basically. Like it can't get any worse. Now they are, um, they are there really. Um, and that's what makes it quite engaging. So you get, you know, further and further insight, insight as the film goes along into like the lengths and depravity he's willing to, to go uh, to go to in order to keep up the lie that this abuse is actually love in his own weird, deadpan, horrible way, because it's not, but that's how he's kind of sending it to himself. Um, he thinks it's for their benefit when actually it's for his, and it's he just wants this sense of control, which we said, uh, and um, you know, sexual empowerment to a degree as well. There's that, um, you know, there's part of that to it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I also like the idea <laughs> just put here about the planes, because planes are often like a symbol of like freedom um, and all this stuff. Uh, you know, you're, since you're jetting away, you're going to another country, it's a new adventure, it's a new destination, whatever. And they're watching it from afar. But I love the fact that they think they're just very small, but really high up. There's literally yeah. no, no sense of... Um, perspective. Exactly. Literally no perspective, yeah, whatsoever. Um, and I love the way I think there was a line where it was like, oh, if it falls, I will catch it or something like that. I'll get it. And she says something like, only the only the worthy ones will will get it or something like that. And I was thinking like, as if like, <laughs> it's almost trying to say as if like, if a plane crashes into you and kills you, you deserve it or something like that. Like, because obviously you're not going to catch it, are you? Because it's a natural fucking plane. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I thought that was quite funny. Um, yeah, so there's definitely like this totalitarianism um, I can never say that word properly. Totalitarianism. To, to, totalitarianism. Um, <laughs> uh, with this. Um, and it's a bit like um, Orwell's 1984, um, especially in terms of the vocabulary, because uh, if you remember this, what was it Newspeak or whatever they use in the book? And um, double think. Yeah, uh, to stop people rebelling, basically. And that's part, you know, pretty much what's going what's going on here. Um, and yeah, I think it's weird because it's like when in the opening bit when they talk about words like sea and highway and all that, they're not words like where would they actually find these words because they're not don't have access to anything, right? So unless they got it from an outside source like Christina or the parents use them, which is unlikely because they seem very on top of all this stuff. Why would they then purposefully um, keep you know? make them learn words that would you be, use be outside and uh, misinterpret them. And then basically it's not only that they're trying to um, control them in a sense of within the world, but it's almost as if they're trying to make it detrimental. So if ever they did step outside, they would not be able to be socially engaged in any way because they have a total misunderstanding about uh, yeah semantics and how, um, how words are associated with different things and all this stuff yeah. and what these things actually mean. They're, you know, they're literally making it impossible for them to actually be able to do anything once they're outside of those four four walls, um, which is interesting. And I, and there's a um, Wittgenstein quote, which is like, the limits of the, my language mean the limits of my world, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And there's this like, you know, we could go to town about, you know, semantics and all this stuff and how powerful language is and all this. Um, but uh, yeah, won't, won't do too much of that. Um and yeah, just on a political aspect of it, it, it feels like it's essentially like dealing with fascism 
um, manipulating language, communication, as we said. I mean, there's an element of censorship. Um, there's an anti-capitalism stance where they're like taking off the brands and all this stuff. Obviously, there's a bit more to it because in the story, you know, you know what's a, what they don't want them to know actual brands. It's just like water, whatever, soap um, and things like that. Great. Rather than the fact that there's like brands and companies and people that make these things or whatever. Um, uh, well, yeah, which I thought was quite good. And yeah, as we kind of touched upon earlier, the fact that they're in a constant state of unease, it's like there's always a danger, there's always a threat, um, a patriarchal thing. But yeah, I don't know. So there was all these kind of signs of fascism, um, uh, I thought, anyway, in that sense. And a little bit of communism almost, but um, I know I'm kind of mixing things up here. But yeah, sorry, go on. What did you think? Yeah, not just fascism, just um, like I said at the top, I thought there was something allegorical going on about how uh, people in power use language to control other people. Um, you know, and that happens in all uh, forms of political models. Mm-hmm. Um, I really felt it's, yeah, I mean, for me, less about the kind of individual uh, story and the sort of psychosexual stuff. It was really just kind of saying, you know, question what you're being told. Mm. Um, everything could be back to front. You're being told the sky is green and the grass is blue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. There's... um yeah, like language is extremely important and it's how we socialize and that's how we work in uh, these social structures. Um, but yeah, having this overlord that is the dad um, control this stuff. It was just, I thought it was weird because when I came out the film first time around, um, I, yeah, I don't know what I thought when I left it, but I think this time around, I think the first time around I thought the main character was maybe the older sister this time around, I realized it's like, it's actually the dad that's the main character of this whole thing. Um, and it's actually, the whole thing is about him. It's not actually about the kids trying to leave or whatever, which might seem like the most immediate um, thing. It's actually uh, about, it's a weird character study almost of the, of the dad and why he does it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Dan, I think we can move on now. Anything else you kind of wanted to go into in depth with on the, on the film? <laughs> No, it would be interesting maybe to think about uh, any other films or filmmakers that may have influenced this or been influenced by it or that anyone listening might want to check out. Um, Mm. To me, I saw, you know, the idiots in there, especially in those kind of like silly games that they're playing. I said you what I was going to say, exactly that. I mean, that felt to me, again, like in saying that he he, it feels like a, a, a first film or a film by a... Uh, just a filmmaker starting out, I thought it really did crib quite a lot from, um, that's Von Trier, isn't it? Yeah, it is very Von Trier. Mm. And also just like in terms of the, maybe not the shooting style, but like long takes, um, very like bold, not controversial, but yeah, as you said, um, shock values definitely, especially with the idiots as well. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of see that. I suppose, like, um, yeah. So, was there any others you can say? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, like, it might be 
like Michael, uh, I can never say his name probably, Haniki or whatever, um, who uh, kind of deals with these middle class drama slash, like if you think of funny games, he did both of the funny games. Oh, yeah. Original and the remake. Um, In a sense of taking something and putting it in a kind of horror slash humorous light. Um, and also just the way it's kind of structured, um, yeah, just made me think it's quite a similar style, maybe similar directing style a little bit. Definitely yeah, a bit of Lars, Lars von Trier in there. Um, but yeah, I recommend like, to be honest, this is just classic, as you kind of said, European art house cinema. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, it's worth checking out any, any of that really. Get, you could go on a deep dive on, on that forever, but um, yeah, start with Montreal. Why not? Early Maybe um, you've seen The Hole in My Heart by Lucas Moodyson. He was he was a director that I quite liked. About well, when I was at university, really, I haven't gone back and watched any of his films. I imagine I might have uh, uh, waned on him a bit, but that that kind of resonated a bit that's specifically about this horrible relationship this kind of dad with his son controlling and it's all very contained it all takes place in a flat um where they're shooting this horrible very violent hardcore porn right no i've just i've heard of it and i was just looking up now but no i've not um no i've not seen it so what um what made you what made you think of that just the, you know, this contained space, uh, the relationship of the father sort of controlling and a, sort of emotionally abusive towards the son. Right, right. Um, and it's all sort of filtered through ideas about sexuality and control, powerlessness. Um, and it's also, you know, uh, quite ex- you know, extreme in terms of being quite explicit. I actually went and saw a, a screening um, at a university campus and they had a big sign up saying, this is extremely explicit and offensive. Um, and they had to verbally warn everyone that bought a ticket. Right. And there were these two sort of like 70-year-old women in the queue in front of me. Mm. And they read that disclaimer to one of the women. And she said, has it got any animals in it? <laughs> he went, oh, no, 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 just, uh, just some li- light domestic uh, sexual violence and fisting. And she went, oh, that's all right then. Oh, thank God. Um, that's interesting. Uh, I was going to say the other um, <clears throat> film, that the film that won the Oscar that year for Best Foreign Film that beat Dogtooth was a Danish film called um, In a Better World. And I think it was also called The Revenge in some countries, um, which I haven't seen, don't know anything about, but it won Best Foreign Language Film over Dogtooth for that, for that year. Um, which might be interesting yeah. to check out then in that case. Maybe, maybe see that instead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if you so wish. Apparently the Academy thinks it's a better film. Um, okay, well, Dan, let's go into Nerd Corner. Right, hello. Welcome to Nerd Corner. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> sitting, sitting here in the corner. What um, could be in Nerd Corner for this film? Well, Dan... Uh, I thought 
um, to kind of delve down a nerd, a nerdy kind of route, I would check out um, Mary and the Boy, uh, the okay. the band that um, uh, I've, I've all thought that I've forgotten. It. Mary Sony, T S O N I. I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry, um, the band that she was in, obviously um, before she died. And uh, yeah, and I checked out, um, and they've got some other stuff, but uh, the only one they had on Spotify, which I listened to, was a 2009 album called Time Machine. Um, and I actually didn't mind it. It was a little bit boring, but it did remind me of um, Arcade Fire a little bit, which was, you know, obviously still popular at that time, but it felt like it was a bit, um, it was trying to be quite epic and trying to use a lot of sounds like horns and all this stuff. Um, which at some point, one of the songs, Time Machine itself, with the title track, um, sounded a bit Beirut at some points. Um, did you ever okay. listen to Beirut? Briefly. Yeah. So I quite like the first album, but you know, the, there were some good songs on the other albums, but I was just like, man, it's the same, same kind of thing here. I'm listening to it. It's like, it's kind of, you know, um, strangely Eastern, Eastern European music. But um, yeah, so anyway, uh, Mary and the Boy, a little bit more experimental, lots of, yeah, horns, violins, um, and it did remind me of, uh, funny enough, I think because we listened to it recently, what was the first Wild Beast album, by the way? Can you remember what it's called? Limbo? Oh, man. We only did this recently. I know. <laughs> Limbo Bajumbo. Yeah, something like that. Um, it reminds me of that a little bit, that kind of like more uh, like shrill kind of like this weird like energy about it. Um, Limbo Panto. Limbo Panto, that's it. Um, some of the other songs were quite chill at times, quite lo-fi. Um, there's a track, I Was Able to Begin Again, which is quite minimalistic, which is quite nice, worth listening to. Um, I guess my favourite track, and it's number one on the Spotify thing, is You, You, You. some of the lyrics and you tell me if you like it um the lyrics that are kind of repeated again again is i am a cock again and again and again and again and then uh and then it changes a little bit and it goes to do you want to suck me i'm a cock <laughs> <laughs> again it's reminiscent again. of a, a song that i did uh, enjoy by a band called shat mm-hmm. called it's about time you sucked on my penis Mm. Um, which exclusively featured those lyrics. Oh, lovely. So there's a sort of subgenre uh, waiting to be explored. That's, um, you put that at the end of your like mixtapes for uh, girls that you like. Yeah. <laughs> Final track. So uh, that time he sucked on my penis. Maybe we should um, start a um, podcast playlist where we can add some of these <laughs> gems throughout the series is that a gem <laughs> would you call that song by chat a gem <laughs> i don't think so um so yeah that was my little bit for uh, for nerd corner um i've I got see, some uh, off the cuff nerd. oh go on do it well i was just thinking how many different 
variations of the fo- uh, film poster I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. So some of them focus on imagery, like some uh, like photos from the film. There's one with like her bleeding mouth, obviously yeah. after bashing out her teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's one of one of the girls in goggles and cap in the swimming pool. Yep. Um, so, but the one that I was most familiar with, I remember from the time. The graph one? Is, yeah, it's a mm. strange, and that appears in the credits as well, doesn't it? Or the, or the end credits. That's right, yeah. What the hell is that? It's the, it symbolizes the three kids. Ah. So you've got, um, you've got the, well, I imagine the, the baseline, the yellow line is the son. He's basically keeping in line with everything. You've got the younger daughter who's maybe like slightly skew with, who's kind of rebelling slightly. And then you've got the oldest daughter who's like the big curve or whatever. It's kind of fluctuating more, let's say. It's a really good poster, actually. It's really cool. It's pretty I unique, think. isn't it? Mm. Um, obviously quite cryptic. Yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, obviously you're looking at, you'd never know until um, till afterwards. But um, yeah, that's what I believe it's um, supposed to mean. Stands out. It makes me. I remember looking at it at the time and thinking, "Is this some kind of film about maths, like pi or something?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's certainly intriguing. Yeah. Another bit of nerdy fact actually was that the whole film was shot on only one lens, an anamorphic lens with a fifty mil focal length, um, which is really interesting. I think that's why it's like super wide when you look at it um and also like uh some of the edges um depending on what shot they've got um some of the edges are a bit more curved let's say um uh but yeah it's all shot on one lens which is you know doesn't normally happen these days i suppose um unless you're shooting on an iphone and even then it doesn't have to be an iphone a phone let's say lots of other phones with everyone says iphone but smartphone there you go yeah we don't want to promote apple yeah ever um that was nerd corner right uh so dan it's time for final impressions and um i'll give you i'll give you my one and then i'll let you know who who you're doing um (laughs) so i would say that i enjoyed this film i did i probably didn't enjoy it as much as i did the first time around mainly because uh, I didn't find it as shocking because I knew what was happening, even though it was still shocking. Um, I enjoyed, as I was saying, how it was uh, put together, how it was shot. I enjoyed the framing a lot more. Um, I liked being able to do this and taking a bit of an in-depth look at like um, uh, how like you know, power structures and social structures and, and all this stuff, um, how that kind of works our way into it. And maybe like, as I said, coming at it... Um, with an angle more focused on the dad. I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, But I would probably say that um, I like this maybe a little better than The Lobster, but I would probably watch The Lobster more times than this, if that makes sense. Um, And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing The Favourite, actually. So overall, I did really like this film. I do think it is um, definitely worth watching, in my honest opinion. Um, And if you can see it, I would say go and see it. But we've kind of spoiled the film for you anyway, so... (laughs) Um, Dan, so if you can give me your final impression, and because it's called Dog Tooth, I want your best Scooby Doo impression. <laughs> 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 That's a good one. Okay. 
Ruffo want to see the rancid sack. Ruffo want to see the rancid sack and tiny shrunken penis of revolt from Stashwick's flats. Ruffo film. Oh, lovely. Um, thanks, Scoob. Did you catch that? <laughs> yeah. Ruby, Ruby, Well, we had we had two very um, two very different uh, views views on the on the film. But let's see what the general public thought. Let's go to our reviews section. I hate it. <laughs> okay, Dan, you want to hear some of these reviews? Yeah, let's do it. So this is from Ludaros Nicolas. Gave it five out of five, said it's brilliant. Um, and know. this is more, I guess, uh, I'm not laughing at um, the fact that this person's English, obviously, in the first language. I just really loved the uh, words used here because it sounds like it's straight out of Google Translate. Always with a real-time camera, director Yorgos Lanthimos captures a thriller that cannot be described as a solid subject movie. Unexpected and inventive, it is the new era of Greek cinematography and may not appeal to everyone, but if you are about to love it, you will really do. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> That's great. I need to remember that and use that more. It's great. Always with a real-time camera. Remember that. <laughs> what was that last line again? <laughs> but if you are about to love it, you will really do. <laughs> I'm going to start dropping that in for other reviews of everything. <laughs> Loved it. Um, this is Brain Boru 57 He gave it four out of five. Um, and he, it says, hesitate between, or about hesitate between weird and seriously weird. Smiley face. A refreshing new take on classic Hollywood themes such as incest and DIY dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> With the least erotic, unsimulated sex since David Attenborough filmed Copulating Earthworms. I even looked through the thesaurus for an adjective other than weird to describe it, but nothing sums it up better except perhaps seriously weird. It's definitely not one for the kiddiewinks. People who've been, who, who need beginning, middle, end plots are not going to cope. If Bambi is zero on a scale of zero to 100 of the weirdometer, Pulp Fiction is about 30, Dead Man pushes into the high 70s, and Dogtooth is nudging 105. I really enjoyed it and hesitated between four and five stars. Your mileage may differ. Smiley face. I hate it when people use the word weird to explain music, books, and art. Weird. Just shows that they don't really understand what it's about. They've just been exposed to some visuals and things that are slightly out of the norm of what they've experienced previously. Um, lazy. I use the word weird quite a lot, so <laughs> chill out. Don't get weird. Um, and let's go to the more negative reviews. So this is... Uh, um, oh, nameless, I haven't got a name here, but one out of five. Uh, subject, weirdly disturbing. I had this on my wish list for ages out of real curiosity. I don't dislike weirdness and I quite like quirkiness, but this left me a bit unnerved and disturbed. I don't doubt there may be parents similar to the ones in the weird family scenario in varying degrees, especially the father. It was quite uniquely odd. And if the producer wanted to make a subtle point of indirectly portraying the weird abuse of some parents on their children... I think it could have been done better, slightly clearer, and just a bit less weirdly. I love the fact using weird in this context from what you just said. As I suspect, many might just miss the point. 
Maybe I've read too much into it. And if there was no underlying meaning, then what was the point? And it would verify my low rating. Yeah. Be a bit less weirdly, Dan. Oh, honestly, if people are using the word weird or nice in a review, just stop and think, what do you really mean? Mm. Exactly. Um, this is one of my favorite ones where they talk about um, the, the physical disc and uh, the film. The physical as, disc. As oh, in where they re- review the service they've got um, <laughs> as well as uh, the, the film itself. Um, one out of five, good service, bad film. Um, the item arrived promptly and in good condition. No complaints with regards to the service. Film itself, however, was really quite bad. I honestly don't know how it scored so highly on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. It's one of the most pretentious, self-indulgent and pointless pieces of cinema I've seen in a while. It wasn't a terrible ending, credit where credit is due, but I was promptly—I was probably just glad it was over. Never before have I wanted to snap a DVD in half and burn it. More down your line of thinking, isn't it? Yeah, I like... Um... I like when people go into the detail of the physical media they've watched the film on. Yeah. It's, it's, good. Uh, it's a good service. It arrived promptly. <laughs> I think there should be a word in the English language for that phenomenon of reviews that focus on yeah. the, like, the, the packaging. Amazon, Amazon refused to return it. It, it arrived grubby. One you know, out of five. You've given, you've given Casablanca one out of five. Yeah, <laughs> because it arrived day later than it should have, Dick. Um, this is another one this is by Jane Jane Nair one out of five subject rubbish (laughs) this is great this might be my favourite only bought this because it said it was in English false information it's a waste of money (laughs) (laughs) oh Jane she doesn't like films that aren't in English and she only bought it because it was in English only reason it's the only reason she bought it she looked at films she went through all the films all the films, and she just happened to go upon Dogtooth. Not English. What are the chances? That, that was the only film she could find that said it was in English. Probably because all the films in English, they just assume, people assume they're in English, right? Yeah. She could have literally bought any other film. Yeah. She decided on a film called Dogtooth. Um, with a you know, uh, disappointed for her. Poor woman. Actually, feel sad. Sad about that. Uh, this one is uh, last one boat drinks which is such a great name um, one out of five and the subject is needs a lot more one star reviews that's what he's <laughs> that's what he's saying needs more um, nice the director of this pap must be laughing his nuts off he's managed to convince his target audience of pretentious cretins that he's made a deep and daring film but what's his real agenda based on the content of this 90 minute coma fest I'd say his biggest cinematic motivation is to show various girls wearing shorts and swimsuits. He appears to have less flair behind the camera than an A-level media study student. Maybe that's too offensive to the students. As for the dialogue, <laughs> there are some fascinating, there are some fascinating conversations between the principal characters. At one point, a young woman talks about a passion for fish soup and bur- fish soup and burgers. I was gripped. I think it's a bit of sarcasm at the end there. I didn't get that at all. I thought, I thought he was uh, just <laughs> digging it up at the end. He felt a bit bad. I wrote that one, actually. <laughs> it, does sound like, it really does sound like something you would write. Um, so that's it. We've done, uh, we've done Dogtooth. Dogtooth is done. So What's next? 
well done. What is next? Let me bring up our randomizer and the wheel of fortune, the wheel of misfortune. And right, gonna press it. And are you ready? I'm ready. Here Three, we go. Two, one, click. Uh, Mort Garson. Oh, yes. That is one of mine. So Mort Garson was a Moog innovator. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Canadian musician. Um, and I'm familiar with him initially through what is a cult classic uh, synth album called Mother Earth's Plantasia. Um, and it got reissued actually quite uh, extensively last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just this really beautiful, opulent, um, really kind of wild, but also quite relaxing, uh, bubbling synth music. And after that, I checked out some of his other albums. And um, there's another one that's quite well known under the uh, pseudonym Lucifer. Okay. Um, again, you can you can imagine it kind of soundtracking some like hippies kind of parties in the in the like early seventies. It's not that dark. It's actually quite sort of like cheesy and exotica. Right. Um, but that's all I really know about him. So it'll be fun just to listen to a few more of his albums and find out a little bit more about him. How many How many albums has he got? What? How How much work do we have to put into this? <laughs> I've no idea. Let's have a look. Have a quick look on, on whilst we're still speaking. Um, don't need to listen to absolutely everything. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, we can ascertain his. Yeah, he's got albums. he's got a lot. Signs of the Zodiac. He's got albums for each sign of the Zodiac. <laughs> Come from nineteen sixty nine. That can't be right. That cannot be right. Okay, well let's just say um, it depends how much of these we can actually get as well. It looks like his last one was Mother's Earth Plantasia, which is what you said, right? Yeah, but remember he. So I'm looking on Discogs, and he, he's only got five albums under his own name. Um, right. So we'll, we'll have to do some research and find out what he did under. He's got a lot of aliases here: Ataraxia, Captain DJ, DJ Craver, Lucifer, the Conductor, the DBs, the Lords of Percussion, oh, the Wazard of Is, and uh, Zed. Jesus. Um, and he was also in a couple of groups as well. So I'll um, I'll do a bit of groundwork and let you know yeah. <laughs> what we're actually going to listen to. Cool. Please do that. I think, uh, yeah, you'll take the lead for the next one. So it's great. Um, <laughs> I don't think I, I don't, I only, first I've heard of this guy. So, um, <laughs> tonight. um, great. Well, thank you for listening everyone. And, uh, yeah. Um, Dan, I know, uh, you've got your King Gizzard video up. Um, yeah. What, what else is happening? What else should people listen to or do in terms of stuff that you're doing? go on youtube and look for dreadful discs and check me out on instagram uh, same name yeah cool and you can our website is currently down um, so depending on when you listen to this uh it's it's currently august um in 2020 uh and our website's down and it's going to be down for a couple of months because of various um annoying technical issues but go to patreon.com slash NU winter um should you need to and yeah so now i'm going to play the outro okay everyone see ya bye bye thanks for joining us on the podcast guys we're part of a new winter group so head on over to newwinter.com to check out our other shows go to patreon.com slash newwinter to support the network 
You can email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com and follow this and our other shows on Twitter and Instagram at A New Winter. So, see you next time on The Oddcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.